here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Yes, sir. Look at us. And this is episode 71. This is the diggity diggity. This is the retread of episode 71. That, that, that episode will never see the light of day. Right. We recorded for all of you out there listening, uh, the dozens of you out there, we, we recorded an episode and then it uh, experienced some serious technical issues. And so we just scrapped it. Starting with Scott, not knowing what microphone he was (laughs) recording into, even when Ollie was hinting to him that he was recording through the wrong (laughs) microphone. Hey, dummy, you sound like you're in a bunker. I was just, I'm not placing blame. I'm just saying there were technical issues. That that was only one of the issues though. Mistakes were made. Mistakes (laughs) were made. So, Uh, so, hey, this is Ollie and that's Scott. And we're uh, this episode is going to drop in the first week of uh, 2022, which is wild to think, right? 2022. Yeah. And unless something remarkable happens in the next, I don't know, handful of days, we're still going to be in a pandemic, Scott. I know. (laughs) Look at that. And so we have predicted it. Who would have thunk it? Um, so I guess the question uh, for us is, as we start to look ahead at 2022 is what are some of the things we learned from 2021 that we can, you know, hopefully apply to 2021? Uh, actually, from tw- yeah. scrap that. <laughs> Stuff from 2021 that we've learned that we can apply Scratch to 2020. Reverse it. <laughs> no, don't reverse it because it was don't the re- same either way. <laughs> uh, so there you go. There so, you go. Uh, Stuff we learned. Yes. I, I mean, I guess for, for me, I guess one of the places I'll, I'll start is that, and I, I, we talked about this, I think last year at the beginning of last year, but I think it's still a lesson that we need to learn is that, I mean, this is still a pretty you know stressful time for, for a lot of people. Like, mm-hmm. and I think we started, you know, moving out to have this, you know, small sense of normalcy, but it's just ramped up pretty seriously over the last handful of weeks where I'm talking to like, you know, teenagers, adolescents, colleagues, um, you know, grad students who are just, you know, going through some serious anxiety over this, because I think that, you know, the the vaccines and the boosters and all that gave us, you know, this, this false sense of, of normalcy, that things were just going to go back to normal pretty soon. And, and then all of a sudden things are like, you know, moving backwards for a lot of people. And, and I have, heard more people myself included who've gotten sick over the last few weeks or last few months and um you know and i think that you know this isn't like oh woe is me or anything like that but i think what it does is we have to much i think we we sort of like in the fall like in last spring we talked a lot about you know spring 2021 there was a lot of talk of like grace and a lot of talk about like supporting you know social emotional needs and all that and someplace over the summer and someplace in the fall we went back to like okay we gotta ramp up that rigor again we gotta rigor. ramp up yes and we learning loss learning loss learning loss and all that and you know we gotta get back to structure and and now we've sort of like you know become desensitized to the fact that hey this is still going on and this is still freaking some people out and this is still, you know, we still need to offer grace to one another and to like really support one another and to, and, and when I have students in my classes and, and you know, and I'm teaching now and I'll be teaching, you know, uh, a new semester in a few weeks, we have some students who 
are coming and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I got so much on my plate right now. And, and, and not saying that um, I just throw all of the standards to the wind, but I could say, Hey, do you need a couple more days? Do you, what can I do to help you? And I think that we, we need to remember that our, the way we're looking at the world isn't the way that everybody else is looking at the world. Right. Yeah, that's for and, sure. And, and so sometimes uh, we don't know that the experiences they're having or the pain they're having or whatever, and just have to be more mindful of that and be more, you know, graceful with accepting other people's perspectives. Cause I mean, we're, we're in a, we're in a learning business, but that learning business so come, it comes from building relationships. You know? Yeah, right. I was going to say that's exactly it, right? I mean, and we talk about that all the time that, um, you know, we're a, we're a podcast about science teaching, Yeah. Um, but ultimately we're a podcast about teaching. And I think uh, <clears throat> fundamentally what we've said many times in many ways is that teaching is, is a relational activity. It's about absolutely. relationships. And, and um, once we lose track of that, um, not only do we lose the core of what good teaching is like we lose our humanity. We become, and I don't want to be overly dramatic, but when we start choosing rigor, whatever that even means in this instance, like learning more useless bullshit. um, (laughs) I'm going to write that down. What a great definition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the operational definition of a lot of schools, Mm -hmm. right? So, so would we choose that over, over the human beings that are in our classroom? I think we've lost track of what the whole mission is of education. Like the mission is, is to create productive, creative, caring human beings that can live in our society so that we can have a better place. Right. And, and education doesn't live up to that, but, but that's what aspirations are for. And, and I do, I agree. I think this is probably the most important lesson from this last year is, you know, we, we had a short period of time where I don't know what the right way to say it is, but we were forced to recognize that this is the way education should be, right? That education needs... Right. Now, now, I'm not saying it was perfect. There were a lot of bad choices made in, in the name of that. And and there was a lot of pain and suffering that that have has happened as a result of you know, choices that were made to keep people safe. And I, I'm not trying to glorify anything. I'm just trying to say like, well, all of some of those bad decisions could have been ameliorated if we had said like what what we're trying to do here is keep people whole not to yeah. preserve their learning or their rigor or the you know the the their memorization of of trivia our job is to keep these people whole and safe and and you know we i'm i'm not sure that all our choices were based on that and uh, in in yeah. educational context, both K twelve and higher ed, as we approach a new semester, and you know universities are already starting to go remote, at least for the beginning of the next semester. Absolutely, so that's that is we're happening. Right back at it. Yeah, so. and 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 I think that my concern is that as we move, as and and universities are starting to make those announcements, like you said, my concern is that people are just going to be like, okay, well, we're moving this on online and. That just means content, content, content. Right, right back to that. Even though we tried to break some of that mold, right? We tried to break that mold in when the pandemic first hit and we did this, you know, two springs ago, you know, spring of 2020, when this really, you know, came down, we were just like, okay, look, you know, this is where we have to, you know, support students. And, and I think we kind of did that through the academic year of 2020, 2021, 
But then over the summer, we're just like, okay, we just kind of like armored up and said, yeah, "Yeah, things are back to normal. That means, you know, that content, content, content. And I think that that's my concern is as we start to, you know, wade back into this, you know, after the holiday thing that looks like it's going to be bananas. This is what I'm, I'm hoping this is the storm before the calm. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. And I, I know that's a turn of phrase where I usually get corrected, but I think in this time it, it applies because it's intentional is that this is like, we have a storm coming and we're at, well, we're in the middle of a storm. Yeah. And my hope is that there's a calmness on the other end of this and, yeah. and that like, it just, yeah, we'll, we'll see what that looks like, but that, that's well, but I, you ever know, I, optimist, right. You are ever the optimist, but, but I would say like the extension of that is, you know, there, there is going to be a calm after this storm. And, and, and I think what we're saying is let's remind ourselves of what we did learn, which yeah. is, is this, you know, idea that we need to care for the people that we teach and, and the way, one of the ways that we can do that. And, and I understand that people are out there like saying, Oh, it's a slippery slope. Then anybody can get away with anything. And, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe that's true. Um, but, the question is, what does it mean to get away with stuff in this context? It really is, you know, an interesting notion. This, like, it's so baked into our bones that we have to compete with others, and therefore we have to, like, for lack of a better way, defeat other people to succeed. That um, that we're really in a in a weird place, right? That 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 we have so much of the way that we think about the world based on that, and it really messes with our sense of of what the goals of of education or society are when we do that yeah like you know i was this past weekend i was uh, visiting family and one of those you know commercial spiritual commercials came up mm-hmm. where you know we're watching tv or, or something or it was on you know my in-laws are those people who have televisions on a lot on. Yeah. yeah and um there was you know some religious person talking this is one of those commercials between things where it's just like here's a little spiritual message and it caught me and i'm gonna not do it justice i'm not a particularly religious person i'm i I can consider myself to be faithful but this is i think the important part um they said grace isn't deserved it's earned i mean it's not earned it's it's just given it's not it's just given i just totally mangled that but that's what the 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 big idea is that it's it's not deserved it's not earned it's just given and so we all we often i think as teachers go well that person doesn't doesn't deserve a you know an extension because they haven't been to class or they have they don't earn a they haven't earned this because they came late to class you know but who knows the kind of stuff that that student is going through right and that they might not deserve it from some sort of you know perspective what it's, I guess it says more about the person, you know, giving it than the person giving, getting it. Right. Yeah. Well, it goes back to the, some other fundamental notions we've talked about, which is like a, that there is an arbitrary bar that everybody must clear to be good. Right. right? And that everybody has to clear it all at the same time. Otherwise uh, those people are bad. And yeah. it's like, well, okay. You know, and, and again, it's tied into some of the things that we were talking about, like what will we do if we could redo school? Right. You know, it's uh, like, the fact that all these kids have this, like, we, we don't have a sense of, um, you know, I mean, mastery-based learning is the way that people used to talk about it, but even that's a little bit of a, 
uh, a sort of kludge. It's like a halfway measure. But but sure. the idea that we could we could have outcomes based education and be less focused on seat time and attendance yeah. and all these other things. Now I understand. I say that right from from a very um, idealistic point of view. I understand that part of the reason that schools exist, and this is one of the challenges of schooling, is that they are a default free, quote unquote, free babysitting system so that our economy can run the way that we want it to. Right. So those kids have to go somewhere so their parents can go to work, um, you know, especially the young ones. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, we, we need a place for them. And so attendance then becomes important because you want, you want that um, for the, well, for the quote unquote good of the economy. That's either really cynical or really practical. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, I remember being, I remember being at, um, where was it? It was a, it was a, maybe it was an arst. It was a, one of, one of the conferences or maybe it was a special session or something. And this, NSF officer, program officer was speaking, and I don't remember who it was. I apologize to whoever it was, but it was it was in the era when MOOCs were coming around and sure. they were saying like, okay, MOOCs, you know, p- people, the sort of internet, whatever, were saying, okay, MOOCs are going to destroy universities and we're going to have this open egalitarian system and it'll be all this awesomeness and it's going to work in K-12 and K-12 schools are all going to, you know, become these online panaceas. And, and this NSF program officer said basically what I just said, right, was, look, schools aren't going away, and here's why. Because yeah. schools can't go away because not everybody has the privilege to be able to have their kids sitting at home, um, you know, especially if they're a kindergartner or first grader, because if they're going off to work somewhere. Um, and I think this is one of the things we've learned from the pandemic is, is that there is a class of people who most desperately need public schools who didn't get them, but still had to go out and do their jobs, right? The people who are in the service industry and who, who, you know, not, not, they're not in glorified jobs. They're not getting paid well. They're, they're, they're scraping by um, oftentimes. And they're not, (laughs) they're the ones that most desperately need public schools. So the people who, you know, are at the top of the food chain, you know, um, and I, I, uh, there's, I heard a, you know, a learning scientist speak, I think I've told this story um, here at, at Penn State, and I, I will not name this this man, but he's he's a generation older than me. And he was talking about how his grandchild, like, was part of the, like, unschooling and, you know, just sits at home and get learns everything they need to learn. And then mentioned, oh, by the way, like, he was really interested in, I forget what it was, some sort of um, computer thing. And his his grandfather, who is a, you know, sort of legend in the field of learning sciences, like just reached out to one of his friends at MIT and said, oh, I'm going to send my grandson to you for a couple <laughs> weeks to hang out in your lab. Is that cool? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. That's fine. That'd be awesome. It's like, okay, so yeah, yeah that's, let's just, that's... let's just scale that up and that'll work for everybody in the United States. So yeah, yeah it's just like the, the people who have the unrecognized privilege in, in this just don't understand um, some of the complexities here, I don't think, or, or, or choose to ignore them. Yeah, I think to kind of talk a little bit about it, like another lesson I think we've, we've learned from, from this, and I guess, I guess it's going to be twofold. One is a, a lesson we're learning from this past year um, but something that you and I, I individually at our institutions are, are you know, thinking about or be it, you know, planning for is that, I mean, teachers are struggling 
And yeah. we have a lot of teachers who are leaving the profession and we were anticipating a teacher shortage already, but I think it's just been uh, amplified uh, by the pandemic and it's happening with all content areas and all grade levels. And so, you know, it's to, to me, it's, it's a, uh, there's a, a real dire situation coming in the not too near, distant future in that we're going to have, um, I mean, it's already happening from substitutes. Like, you know, I think when we have, you know, somebody who, you know, a teacher who, you know, leaves for a day, needs to take a day because they're sick or you know, because they have to attend to it for a, you know, a family member who's ill or, or whatever, right. That um, having a qualified person replace them is very difficult. Yeah. Um, and so what's happening in a lot of schools is that they're playing, you know, coverage bingo almost like okay you're going to cover this period now you're going to cover this period right exactly and and so uh and that is is going to happen even more as we start to see uh more teachers leave more teachers retire um and then we don't aren't graduating as many teachers as we could or she should to replace them. Um, I know like we you and I are coming from you know Penn State's one of the largest teacher uh, preparation programs in the state of Pennsylvania and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Millersville, my institution is, you know, usually in the top three or four too. Um, and so uh, we look at our graduates and we're graduating a bunch of, um, you know, new teachers, but, you know, in one district in our area, they're going to hire 40 new teachers, you know, 40. Yeah. And, 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 if you're like, and that, yeah, I think they have like a total of like maybe 250 teachers, 300 teachers in their district. So they're going to replace like 15% of their teachers in one year. And that's going to create some real challenges. So I think for, for me, you know, I, that's, that's identifying the problem. So what do we learn from that is that one, I mean, that teachers need support and it's not, yeah. it, they need lots of support. Um, but then two, it, it's also that we have to be really intentional about how we can help people who may be wanting to come into the profession to support them in, in, and maybe non-traditional students. This is where I lead into, you know, uh, the work that you and I are doing separately. Penn state has a program that they're going to certified, you know, people who, you know, have already have a degree in some area. Right. And then Millersville is going to have that same thing. um, Both coming on board at some point this year, looking for non-traditional tracks for certification. That's responding directly to the needs that we see. Yeah. So that's the lessons we've learned. I, and that I, I would say prior to the pandemic, it might've happened. Like these things might've gotten off the ground, but I think they've certainly gotten ramped up as, as we started seeing more and more people. I mean, 2021, there was like a, a great exodus and it's, it's, it's happening, you know, teachers, but it's also happening with school leaders too. Yeah. And so it is, there's a mass exodus happening in our schools. Yeah. Well, you know, as you say, the stress in those environments, has has been ramped up just like it has been in every environment, but but um, schools have this this tension of um, you know having to ha- they have a public purpose right yeah. and and they're publicly funded and the combination of those two things makes them a sort of um, testing ground for a lot of things um, and you saw that with things like mask mandates and how difficult those things were for school boards and um, and all the CRT like critical race yeah. theory you know yeah. uh, discussions I'll, I'll call it discussions and and, yeah. and be really you know generous with that right yeah that is generous yeah I mean all that is just like 
and you know schools are have always been political p- places and they always will be because they again they're publicly funded and they're public places so um but the sort of i don't know what the right word is but the 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 extreme tensions that have come out of this pandemic as a result of the pandemic and also as a result of other other factors in society is is put yeah as you say tremendous stress on school leaders and and teachers and all the other people that work in those buildings, like the, all the support staff, everybody is just, there's just a tremendous amount of stress there. And um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, I, it's at this point, I hope it's a lesson we can learn because I think there's a recognition that our schools are very close to being in crisis if they aren't already in, in crisis. Well, I think there are schools absolutely in our state that are in crisis in terms of, you know, and I'm I think- just I'm just talking about like uh, is you know is public schooling as a as an institution like oh. not just our individual schools in crisis because they clearly are. I'm talking about like <laughs> will public schooling as we know it now survive all this because it is it is a weird world we're living in and and uh, you know there was a piece in the New York Times about the I'm, I'm forgetting her name I'll look it up but the woman who's the the president of the national uh, education association um, in the U S and, and her work to try and, and she's been sort of demonized as the person who, who wants mass mandates or, or whatever. Um, But I think the, the article sort of tried to paint a more nuanced picture and say, look, she's really trying to get schools open safely. And she, her goal is, and I think the way that we think about it too, is, you know, the educational experience when children are with their teachers is so much better than when they're not that uh, for most kids, not for all kids, but for most kids that we need to push towards that um, to the degree that it's safe and trying to figure out how to make it safe. Um, but, but that said, she, she was also, you know, talking about the issues that you're bringing up, like public schools are really in a, in a, an incredible crisis, right? The, the, the teachers leaving the profession, the lack of substitute teachers available to fill when they're, when there are people sick and there's lots of people sick, um, you know, so they're missing days of school and they're not just missing a day or two, because if you get sick, you, you also have to isolate. So right. there, you know, it's, this is a massive impact on, on the infrastructure of our schools and, you know, our, our local middle school, the, the assistance, uh, building principal just said, look, I, I can't do this anymore and left. Yeah. And you know that, I think that, you know, he, he was, and everyone said like he was doing a great job with the connecting with the kids and doing good work and um, really, but clearly behind the scenes, it was having a toll. And uh, so, yeah, I wonder, and you know, this idea of like, okay, well, well, the private schools are doing it better. So let's pull the money out of the public schools and give it to private schools. This, this pushes this privatization of, of public schooling. And, um, boy, that's a scary thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the person you were thinking of is Randy Weingarten, Thank you. who yes. is, uh, the president of the American Federation for teachers, okay, so uh, Federation of teachers, excuse me. Yeah. Um, the AFT yeah. and one of the, uh, large labor organizations for teachers in, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that, that article was fascinating because I read it too about how politicized, I mean, she was just really focusing on how to keep schools open, how to keep teachers safe, how to keep students safe. And so much of that was politicized, but I think that's just the nature of, you know, our society right now, yeah. um, how politicized things are. 
Um, but again, like you said, it's happening with um, with school leaders too. And I guess what we're, I'm still hopeful. I think we're going to figure out ways to do this and do this well, because we need to. Um, it is a, uh, public education is, is a common good. And uh, it is, it is really the pathway for so many people. You know, I haven't really talked much about this and maybe it's a place to talk about it, but um, my father came to America from Italy. He didn't speak English. Um, and when he arrived uh, in, in, you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, he, he didn't speak English. His mom didn't speak English. You know, his father didn't speak English. Um, he was held back in school because he wasn't able to speak English and, but it was through his success in K to 12 education, you know, that he was able to be able to go to college was be able to, you know, become an en- engineer. Um, my grandfather worked in a coal mine. My, actually my grandfather's on both sides of my family worked in coal, coal mines. Um, but here I am one generation later from my father who arrived in the shore, who was held back in school, unable to speak English, the education provided the pathway for him. And, it, and here I am working in education. And that's something that, you know, I have to be optimistic about because I see it, what it's, what it's done for my family, what it's done for, you know, my brothers, for all of us. Uh, it was the pathway for, I mean, you know, I go back when, when I've gone back to Pittsburgh and see the, you know, the house that my, my dad grew up in, it's a, it's modest to be, you know, generous. And my dad told stories of, you know, catching rabbits to be able to eat and catching pigeons to be able to eat. And, and that's, you know, that level of poverty is something that's in my background and, and, and education provides that pathway. And I have to be hopeful that we're going to figure this out, that we're going to figure out that we're going to, you know, be able to navigate the crisis um, and be able to the crises, I guess, is the way to say it. Um, and still, you know, provide that pathway for so many people. Um, yeah, I have to be optimistic because the alternative is, is something that'll keep me up at night. And it, add that to one more thing that'll keep me up at night. Right, which we don't need. We don't need more things no. to keep you up at night. Right. Or me for that matter. So yeah, let's think about some other lessons learned for this uh, for this well, year. I, I guess I want, like you you've have uh, like spent 2021 helping to get uh, the state standards. You know, you've spent a lot of time this past year um, working on the new state standards in, in, in science in our state. What, what are some lessons you can learn from that? Are there things you, that you're hoping that you can apply coming up? Because I think, I mean, that's some work that you and I are going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, there's probably some lessons for you there, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think those are ongoing lessons. I mean, certainly the, you know, the, the standards process is, is interesting and long, um, and it's, you know, the, I think, I think the thing, one of the things I've learned certainly is that, um, it's very difficult to, um, put in place any kind of national standards in education. And there's lots of really good structural reasons for that, right? Like we're a local controlled country and, um, and at the most we have state control, um, and so getting everybody on board with the same set of standards is essentially impossible. So, so, you know, that it's been interesting to see how, um, how the NGSS were adapted in Pennsylvania and the process of that and how, um, you know, there are, there are things that are in the Pennsylvania standards that are, um, 
you know, really unusual and, and some of those unusual things maybe don't need to be there. And some of them are, I think are quite positive, but trying to figure out how to remold the standards in a way that, that creates a set that, um, aligns with, you know, existing priorities that, that are in Pennsylvania law and, and also stays true to the spirit and, and purpose of the NGSS. I think that's been a really interesting process. And I think hopefully mostly successful. Um, uh, if not, you know, it's not perfect, nothing's perfect. So, um, and, and I think, you know, the, the obvious next, uh, learning that's going to have to happen is around the assessments and the professional development. So the assessments of the students, because that's going to drive a lot of what change happens and the professional development that's going to be provided for teachers uh, to prepare them to make this shift in their pedagogy. So I hope those things um, get real attention um, and, and, by that, I mean, resources, uh, it, it looks like the, the professional development is going to get at least some of that in the next few years, which I think is fantastic. Um, but the, simultaneously on another track, there's going to be somebody developing assessments for these things. And, and I hope they can do it in a, in a way that's going to support the change that's coming. Yeah, I think the, the other part is that my, my hope is that, that teachers, you know, K to 12 science teachers, see this as a, a radical departure from current practice yeah. that, um, I mean, we, we've talked about this, about the, you know, the horoscope nature of things yeah. that we go, Oh, you know, that, that apply That's, that's me. I do that. You know, yeah. Yeah. you know, that we look at anything new and just go, Oh yeah, that that's, that's what yeah. I already I do. Yeah. I do that already. And, and I think that, you know, the NGSS and, you know, the, the, Pennsylvania fied version of the NGSS, you know, is, mm. uh, is pushing for something different than current practice. And, you know, I hope that, you know, some of the resistance you've faced or some of the political process that you've faced in developing the standards that we can apply that to the, the, um, the professional development we're going to uh, offer this spring. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the things I, I'm most hopeful about, and, and we'll see how it goes, is um, that, you know, that, I mean, this is going to be an, yet another thing, right? Um, <laughs> Lots of things, so, Scott. <laughs> yeah, but we were just saying, like, all the change and pressure and, and um, complexity of being a teacher these days. And then yeah. in the next three years, we're going to be asking science teachers, if they do this right, to change how they teach pretty pretty significantly and uh and i'm i'm hopeful that they will embrace that and see this as an opportunity when when the system is sort of in in crisis or in you know broken down a little bit to try and rebuild it in a in with a new vision and say like we have an opportunity here to think about science teaching in a pretty interesting a new way and we could do it right now because we have a little more latitude because our schools are um you know trying to rebuild in a lot of ways um so i i'm hopeful uh we'll see but i'm hopeful that that this is a an opportunity time to try and get teachers to say yeah you know what i'm tired of that old way and it goes back to this relational stuff absolutely this, i was just gonna like, go there i was yeah. just gonna go there yeah, that's exactly so. what's you know, I mean, changing Alyssa, notions of rigor is what we're talking right. about. Right. And, and that, 
you know, this idea that listening ideas is, is important, you know, discussions and discourse and all that. It's all founded on relational, you know, building relationships in our classroom and fostering that to, you know, elicit ideas in safe ways and helping yeah. students to, you know, work through those ideas and creating experiences for students. And that's not like uh, opposed to good education or rigorous education. It's not opposed to that at all. What it's doing is it's creating, you know, critical thinkers that can yeah. apply because what is the what is the thing that we're trying to create? Is it that they can rattle off information at you know the at the trivia at, you know the, the local bar, or is it that we're trying to help them be thinkers that they can you know apply that more broadly? And it's not that it's not an either or thing. It's not content mm-hmm. or you know thinking. It's both. And yeah. and right now it's not enough of the one. Right. right. Yeah. It's 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 a. Uh content in context, right? I mean, it's yes. like learning content just for the sake of content is is mostly the way that schools operate right now. So trying to say like, hey, you know, we could do this differently. And one of the ways we could do it differently is make the the content be contextualized in real things. So we're, yeah. we're not, we're, you and I are not opposed to people learning canonical science ideas. I'm, you know, that's not a thing that we, you know, we wouldn't be science teachers if we thought science right. didn't have a value as a body of knowledge, but treating it only as a body of knowledge is where you run into problems because you, you start to think like, well, just having the body of knowledge is the thing. And it's not. And that's what we're, you know, we're, what, what we want is kids who can think and act and behave and engage with the world like scientists. And as a result of doing that, they will understand canonical science ideas, not only the ones that they work with, but other ones, because they'll understand, oh, that thing, you know, that's not just a true thing that we found written on a rock somewhere by, yeah, yeah. but um, (laughs) that, sorry. Um, but that, uh, that thing is something that we've developed at, at, through a process of engaging with the world. And as a result, we now can say, oh, this is how plants make their own food. Isn't that cool? Um, but we figured it out by looking at a lot of things and then developing an explanation. And, and we also will say, like, this is just our explanation. Like, it, it, we're working on it, and there are parts of it that we still don't understand about how plants do what they do. But, you know, as we continue to investigate, we'll learn more and more things about it, right? So, um, yeah, that that process is a very different one. Well, I think the other part about it is that, you know, the canonical science is is changing right. and that we need to help students understand and students and citizens understand that science changes all the time and that it doesn't mean that science is wrong. It says that science is a process is is going to change those ideas and like right now as we live in it as we live in the change that's happened pretty rapidly because you know all of those concepts like evolution is happening in our like daily life you know mm-hmm. and it's like we're not seeing you know giraffes grow you know longer next but we're seeing viruses change and evolve because millions of viruses are happening and you know and they're you know, populating and they're responding to the environments that they're live they're existing in. We're seeing those changes happening. Um, that we're like going, okay, we're going to revise this based on new data. Well, that's how science works, you know. And I was, yeah. And I think that we will better pre- prepare people to live in 
in moments like this. Yeah. yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? Is that when we get to the next, when we get to the next scientific crisis, whatever it is, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's climate change, whether it's some other thing, that the people who are engaged in trying to understand it, trying to understand what's going on and make decisions about what we should do as a society actually understood something about science and how it works instead of saying, why doesn't the vaccine cure everything? Well, vaccines aren't cures. That's you, you, you misunderstand it. And why are, why are the rules constantly changing about what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do? It's like, well, the, the rules aren't changing capriciously. There's not a bunch of people in a room right. making up rules. We're trying to maniacally. That would be nice. Uh, somebody. But, you know, we're trying to figure out like, how does this thing work and how does it spread and how can we dial it dial it in appropriately to get this the the most quote unquote normalcy so that we can continue to operate as human beings and and work and earn money so that we can feed our families and do the things that we need to do and also keep as many people safe as possible so that we don't have the highest death rate in the world which we do right now per capita which is you know i mean i guess brazil passed us so sorry yeah sorry brazil brazil um yeah um anyway yeah, well, here's like here's a perfect example. I was uh, with so this came up in one of my feeds. I don't know whether it was uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Um, but w- the one of the top BBC articles of the year was the announcement that we have an eighth continent. Fantastic. Right. When and actually, even though it was in the uh, it was announced on BBC in you know February of 2021. Um, it was actually in a science, uh, journal from 2017. It's, do you know, do you know the new continent? Do you know the, our new continent? I'm, I'm breathlessly awaiting the announcement. It's New Zealand. New Zealand's its own continent. It's just like Pluto's no longer a planet. I haven't heard this one. No, it's, 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 um, something I, I could send you an article, but I mean, but so I was talking no, I to I want to know why. I don't want Because to know. it exists on its own plate. And it like so the continents are all I mean you come on you, you're like the you're our geoscience you're more geoscience folks. Yeah. yeah. Con- <laughs> continents exist. Yeah, we I should can, know I, this. Right. So they what they thought it was connected to Australia and when they went actually looking looking at the plates and doing research they found that um, it was on its own plate and it actually broken off from another, they said from like uh, South America, I think. Um, and so it exists on its own, but this is the, you know, for some reason we are a little bit more accepting of that, right? That, oh, okay, we have, we have an eighth continent. Look at that. How cool is that? You know, but we're not as accepting as we say, hey, we have new data. We have to change some other habits or some other, right. you know. But but I, I think that just is part and parcel about like what science is all about. We yeah. modify our understandings based on new data and we look and say, hmm, now we have, we have to, you know, seven continents. Now we have eight, which is kind of right. cool. You know? Yeah, no. And yeah. it is in that sense. It is like is Pluto a planet or not in the sense that um, it it shows a couple of things about science. One. um, that we're constantly investigating and learning new things. As you said, I think that's super important. The other is that these classifications, the way that we've organized the world is on some level arbitrary, right? right. And we've made decisions about it 
And whether things are continents or not, or whether they're planets or not, is there, there's, again, there's not some answer book that says, oh yeah, Pluto is a planet. Like yeah. there has to be a decision made and somebody says, okay, this is the definition of a planet. Cause it's not just everything that orbits the sun, because there's lots of things that orbit the sun of all different shapes and sizes and classifications. So we have to make distinctions or we decide to, we don't have to actually, we can just say everything's a planet and fine. And we got billions of, well, probably billions, maybe certainly millions of planets around the sun. Um, we need a, one heck of a mnemonic device to remember those. Yeah, right. Boy, that'd be hard. <laughs> we, that'd be like the whole K through six would just be memorizing the planets. Yeah, that'd be the, that'd be the whole <laughs> that'd be the whole curriculum. Okay, kids, we're almost to Pluto. <laughs> Hang in there. The sixth graders are like, I can't even remember one of the close ones to the sun anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that talk, talk about death march with fun oh, sauce. Right no there. fun sauce, though. No, no fun sauce. Just death march, no fun sauce. Or, or death flight. Oh, because um, <laughs> it'd be going through this. Yeah, no. I got it. It's yeah. not as good. No. Flight sounds much, you know, more pleasant. Even a death flight sounds more pleasant than a death march. <laughs> death flight does not sound pleasant. Well, I mean, compared to a death march, no. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, uh, speaking of that, let's talk about joys then. <laughs> Yeah. So do you have you have a joy there, Scott? I have a joy. I have a joy to share. All right. So I don't think we've shared this one. I hope not, because this is a movie that came out a while back, but I've been wanting to watch. And I recently was on a plane for the first time in quite a while. And and, you know, in the uh, fancy new planes that we have today, you get on your Internet enabled device and you get on the Wi-Fi for the plane. You can watch all sorts of stuff. So I got to watch a movie I hadn't seen yet, um, which I'd really wanted to see, uh, starring my friend Bob Odenkirk. He's not a friend, actually, but a person who I admire greatly, who's mostly been a comedic actor. And this this is a movie called Nobody. Um, and it's uh, it's it's a very um, John Wicky sort of movie. I won't I won't do any spoilers, but the basic premise is, you know, this is a ordinary guy living in a house with a wife and two kids and somebody breaks into his house and, and he has an opportunity to, to, um, you know, attack them or, or, or try and subdue them. And he chooses not to, and just get, tells them to leave his house and they do. Um, and then the show is about the consequences of that and what it reveals about him and that he's got this sort of secret life. Um, but it is, uh, both funny because Bob Odenkirk's in it and Bob Odenkirk is, and if you don't know him, he, he's, he's, he got started with Mr. Show, which is arguably like one of the more seminal pieces of comedy for comedians. It's a very ab absurdist and weird show um, that was on HBO a long time ago. Um, but he's probably better known now as better, better call Saul and, and the attorney from breaking bad. But um, anyway, uh, really enjoyed nobody. It's, it's, uh, I mean, you've got to have that flavor of taste that you're willing to watch a lot of, um, you know, fisticuffs and violence and, and violence in general, but it's funny and, um, and in many ways charming. And Bob Odenkirk is, is, you know, not who you expect as that kind of an action hero. He just doesn't seem like the action hero type. So that makes it 
that makes it good too. So I, anyway, that brought me joy on the plane. Yeah. I mean, John wick. I love those movies. So if it's anything like John wick, I'm here for it. Well, yeah, it's got that same vibe in the sense that, you know, it started, John wick starts out. He seems like this ordinary guy and then he turns out to be the Baba Yaga. And, Uh, you know, so this is, this is similar. This is a similar notion. Yeah. The, uh, for me, my joy, uh, also a movie that I saw in the theaters, um, was, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. That oof. Was, I was, oof, yeah. Did you see it? I did. I, it was going to be my joy too, but. You thought I, I was actually, going there? I, I thought you were going there. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to try to give the shortest review of any movie that you could possibly say. If you're a fan of Spider-Man, if you're a fan, if you've seen the movies and, you know, through the uh, Tobey Maguire years or the Andrew Garfield years, and you're here for the Tom Holland. And uh, I would say you need to see this movie because it's just awesome. And the special effects are awesome. The storyline is awesome. And uh, even if you're not a, like per se, like you're lost with the MCU, like I'm totally lost with the MCU. Like and there's so many movies, so many characters. I think they, they, pare it down there enough that somebody who's just coming and saying, you know, I'm a Spider-Man fan, but I'm not an MCU person. Right. You're, you're going to get, um, you're going to get a payoff here. And this, the storyline, and, and I'll just say that it's funny. It's uh, fantastical. Um, at times it's heartbreaking. Um, there's just a, a range of emotions that are experienced in this movie. And to think that it, it just surpassed like a, billion dollars yeah. uh, worldwide, which is yeah. just awesome. Um, but it's just, I think when people knock comic book movies, I, I always go, you know, but there's so much, some really good storytelling going on. And I think that there's some really good storytelling here. It's like, yeah, okay. I, I get people don't like science fiction books, but as, yeah. as a, as a genre, there's some really amazing science fiction literature that's written. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of see the same thing here is like, you know, I've seen some really great dramas this year, but if I'm going to say what the, was the best movie that I saw this year, Spider-Man's going to be in the discussion yeah. and, and cause there's some really good acting that happens in this. And, um, and like I said, it just gives you a range of emotions. And there are other movies that I've seen that while the acting was amazing or the dialogue was amazing. Um, yeah. It just, didn't yeah. hit me the same way. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I heard somebody else talking about it and saying, you know, one of the things with the Tom Holland Spider-Man is he's been missing some key stuff from the sort of core of who Spider-Man was. And, uh, and this movie sort of completes him as Spider-Man up until now, he's been very, um, a, a very different sort of Spider-Man. I mean, in sure. many respects, things that people liked a lot more about him, which was he's, he feels much more like a kid. Like in the first yeah. two Tom Holland movies, he feels like a teenage kid and you buy him as a high school kid. He's sort of a, you know, he, he pulls that off better, I think, than, than McGuire and, and Garfield did, but he was missing some of the, some of the things that make Spider-Man who he is and, and why he's such a beloved character and has, yeah. has such a long history. And this movie completes that. And in the process, I think did it in a really beautiful way. And, and I agree. I thought, you know, I thought it was a really, um, I thought it was a really well-made movie and I really enjoyed it. And yeah. Yeah. Amen. And we, we both did a really good job of avoiding anything, you know, that would diminish the experience for anybody out there. No spoilers. No spoilers. All right. Well, 
you know, there we are, our first episode of 2022 in the books, episode 71. Thanks for being here. Feels like a new year. It does feel like a new year. And we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. Bye now.